Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Doug Collins Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. You want to listen to a podcast? By who? Georgia GOP Congressman Doug Collins. How is it? The greatest thing I have ever heard in my whole life. I could not believe my ears. This house, wherever the rules are disregarded, chaos and mob rule. It has been said today, where is bravery? I'll tell you where bravery is found and courage is found. It's found in this minority who has lived through the last year of nothing but rules being broken, people being put down, questions not being answered, and this majority say, be damned with anything else. We're going to impeach and do whatever we want to do. Why? Because we won an election. I guarantee you, one day you'll be back in the minority, and it ain't going to be that fun. Hey everybody, good morning. Welcome to another week of the Doug Collins Podcast. Glad to have you with us. Uh, this week, uh, a lot of things going on. We've gotten through New Hampshire now. We're, we're in, you know, as this goes on, you know, more and more as we look toward the presidential general election in November. Um, I, I think you know, it's, it's always good for us to sit back and take a look at what will decide, in many ways, the election coming up. And I think it's important. And we're going to do this uh, throughout the, the year here. I want to talk about, you know, things that matter that you know, really get over, they, they get talked about, but maybe not in a, in a certain uh, way that maybe lays it all together. And I think this is what campaigns deal with behind the scenes. What I want to give you is a little bit of how we, in campaigns, statewide campaigns, congressional campaigns, even national campaigns, how to sort of block off, you know, what they focus on, how they focus on it, and, and, and what uh, how that matters. So they're going to talk about that after the break. We got uh, three things and some wild cards that I want to talk to you about. But it's great to have you here on the Doug Collins Podcast for a, a new week as we get ready in January. Can you believe January is already into the uh, you know, the, this, you know, we're already 20 something days into January. It's pretty amazing. But right after the break, we'll get into it. Glad to have you here on the Doug Collins podcast. Hey everybody, you know about legacy precious metals, legacy precious metals. You hear from, uh, we talk once a month. We talk about legacy precious metals, talking about precious metals being part of your portfolio, how they're your navigator. Well, now they're not only navigating in a new way, uh, they're actually giving you a new way to buy gold and silver. In fact, legacy precious metals has put and developed a revolutionary new online platform that allows you to invest in real gold and silver online. In a few easy steps, you can open an account online, select your metals of choice, and choose to have them stored in a vault or shipped to your door. I'm more of a ship to my door kind of person. I enjoy having them uh, with me, and, but they can do it either way, and you can now do it online. It gives you real access to uh, a dashboard where you can track your portfolio growth in real time, anytime. You'll see transparent pricing on each coin and bar. This puts you in complete control of your money. This platform is free to sign up for. Just visit LegacyPMInvestments.com and open your account and see this new investing platform for yourself. Gold hedges against inflation and is against uh, and against a volatile stock market. A true diversified portfolio isn't just more stocks and bonds, but a different asset class. This platform allows you to make investments in gold and silver, no matter how small or large, with just a few clicks. Remember, do as I have done. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com and get started today. And now you've got a new tool to help you along in your investments. 
Hey, everybody, Mike Lindell and the MyPillow employees want to thank all of my listeners, the great Doug Collins podcast listeners, for your continued support. To thank you, they're offering a overstocked clearance sale right now for the best price you ever use when you use the promo code Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, and you get free shipping on the entire order. You get 50% off the MyPillow 2.0, the brand new flannel sheets that just arrived and won't last long. Get six-pack travel, six-pack towel sets for only $29.98. And take advantage of the free shipping on large items like mattresses and mattress toppers. 100% made here in the United States and on sale for as low as $99. Everything is on sale from the brand new kitchen tiles that have the same technology as the bath tiles that actually absorb dog beds, blankets, couch pillows, and much, much more. To get the best specials ever, go to the MyPillow.com, MyPillow.com, and use the promo code Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, or call 800-986-3994 and use the same uh, keyword Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, and get free shipping on your entire order while supplies last. MyPillow products, thank you. Y'all go check them out. All right, here we go. Um, let's, let's talk about this for just a minute. Let's, let's lay this out. If you were a campaign, because we we've talked about campaigns, uh, it's been a little while since we sort of laid out what goes on into a campaign and why certain things matter. And, and we've, we've laughed and we've joked about this before in 2022 cycle. I mean, we, we had several guests on from, uh, pollsters to consultants and everybody else to talk about what goes on and what is good and what's not good in, in a political campaign. First thing is, is you, got to understand in election season, everybody that you think you talk to in a campaign uh, is not going to vote, number one. Number two, if you ever hear somebody, as we've talked about before, say that they're going to win their campaign, I don't care if it's a city council race, dog catcher, all the way up to uh, president that they're going to depend on just grassroots. We don't need any money. We're just going to be the people who are with us. They're probably going to lose. Okay. Um, as you look at these things and in factor that in money, campaigns, grassroots organization, uh, an understanding of social media, digital media, uh, the things that are, are now that I think are actually leaning more toward where campaigns are going to go in the future are the things that need to be focused on. Uh, yes, public events are great. Public, you know, and, and I know that campaigns love to have them. I've loved to speak to large groups. You love to get out there and shake hands and hear the people say, oh, you're the best in the world. And those are great. But remember, that in a even in the most generous state, unless you're Donald Trump and you're attracting, you know, thousands upon thousands of people to show up at a rally, even then, again, it's it's good to remember that you know. And I'll go to a smaller state like like Iowa. Donald Trump received a little over fifty something thousand votes. Now he won going away. Don't get me wrong, but if he had a think about it, if he had a an event in which he had a thousand people at, out of fifty thousand who were voting, again. You know, and a lot of those people would be the same people if they go to different events. So you just look at the scale of, of how it's going. Now, what it does show is something we're going to talk about maybe a little bit later on is it is in a wild card factor is enthusiasm. And that's what we saw in 2016. Actually, we, I think we saw it in 2020, but there's a lot of issues that went on with, with 2020 between the candidates and, and things in the pack that, that played on people's mind a little bit more uh, than, than was off the radar coming into co coming in through COVID and everything that was going on. So it, as we look at this today, I want us to think about it in terms, if you're sitting there looking at the presidential race and you were uh, the campaign manager for uh, the candidates as they go forward and, and Biden, Trump, uh, as they go forward, um, which is what it looks like, you know, this is where this is heading. 
you know, you've got to sit back and say, okay, what is the political landscape going to be? Now, I may mention last week in Friday's Finest with Chip Lake that this could be the longest general election primary season, general election season we've ever had. The primaries are ending very early. Um, it's almost it's almost as if there was two incumbents running. Uh, normally, when the incumbent runs, such as Joe Biden running, you don't have a primary. Although Dean Phillips is out there wasting a lot of people's money uh, doing uh, running against Joe Biden, he's not going to win. Uh, right now, John Kennedy uh, Jr. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. I apologize uh, is is not getting on ballots in, in access. He's still got a lot of ways to go to even you know get enough ballots to make a difference at this point. No labels is out there making a lot of noise that they're going to try and get candidates. But again, ballot access is going to be interesting. In a lot of states, ballot access is difficult. Uh, I live in a state in which ballot access is not uh, the easiest thing in the world to do. Jason Pye, somebody who's been on our podcast before, uh, works for New Process Institute uh, up in D.C. He's a great friend, libertarian. He'll tell you that, uh, you know, that's one of the hardest things to do in places like Georgia and other places to get on the ballot. So, uh, again, ballot access is is something that will play into effect with these three candidates. If you want to know uh, where that was going to come into effect with even presidential candidates getting on ballots of caucus states, uh, like Mickey Haley who's not on the ballot in uh, Nevada and in, in their primary. So these are things that you got to take into account. But then there's also going to be the basic issues. What are you going to run on that affect people getting up and going to the polls? I want to lay this out because I think this is a, a time to do it because I do, you know, this is, you know, although what polls say is people don't want to see another Trump-Biden rematch, I... Uh, well, they, if they did, they really wouldn't be supporting like they do. So, again, I, I sort of discount that. It's maybe one of those things where you don't want, but you but you, you really, deep down, most people are looking at it because that's what the, the elections are showing. Now, you can say, well, there's a lot of people in the uh, Republican Party who voted against Donald Trump. Yeah, they did, but most all of them will come back and vote for Donald Trump in November. Now, some will not, but just like there were some that will not vote for Joe Biden. So before you know, people start running off the mouth, saying, you know, they're not going to come back to Donald Trump. Well, there's a lot of voters not going to come out for Joe Biden. So I think you're going to see a difference in, in turnout. And when Joe Biden is fighting his left, which he's never, a Democrat has never had to fight his own left. I mean, that has been an interesting uh, perspective right here. Joe Biden is bleeding progressives in these votes. I mean, he just is. You're seeing it. Now, do I believe, I'm a very realistic person. Do I believe that they're going to come back home to, to Joe Biden? Yeah, I do. I, I believe that most all of them, uh, are going to come back up. So you'll see those, you know, numbers uh, much more in his favor by the time September, October rolls around. We'll just have to see where it goes, uh, you know, how much actually they do come out. But there are a lot of people frustrated. So as we look at this, let's take into account the all those kind of things, which are really what I'll call more uh, wild cards. Okay, who's going to show up? Who's not going to show up? In the Trump campaign, are they going to be able to do what they've seen in New Hampshire, saw in New Hampshire a little bit, where they were getting college educated, where they were getting suburban women, where they were you know, getting young people vote? Is this going to hold up? All of those demographics, all those other things will be played into these, what I believe are three main issues that are really going to define this campaign. Now there is a fourth one out there and I'm going to hit and put it because I think it's in the wild card setup. And it depends frankly on if the Republicans can have an answer for the issue of abortion. All right. Abortion in some of these, especially some of the congressional seats and maybe even some of the Senate seats, possibly also in and probably also in the presidential race, abortion will be an issue, but I'm going to leave it off to the side for a minute because if, if Republicans can come back 
and, and begin to address abortion in the, in the way that actually resonates with 78% of Americans who do believe there should be restrictions on abortion, then that issue could be taken off the table. And the extremists uh, who want to basically kill babies up until birth or right after birth will uh, not have an answer to come back. And people will see that the choice uh, is what's going on in, in America. When you literally you have 70, almost 75% of the American people believe there should be uh, restrictions on abortion. And yet the Democratic Party uh, has been very much uh, reluctant to call any restrictions on abortion out. So we'll see how that goes. I'll speak to that a little bit later. First one, though, as we go, number one, economy. Uh, economy is always the big issue. Let's go back in time. 1980, uh, you have a serious foreign affairs issue. You've had four years of the malaise uh, of Jimmy Carter. Um, people are not comfortable. There's been you know, the gas prices, the inflation, just everything's going on. Uh, this is a time in which you have double digit home mortgage interest rates. I mean, it, it, things are just not good on the economic front, but yet it was still relatively close. But in the end, when people look back, um, and said, do I want to continue where I am or do I want to go after, uh, to possibly change and go to something new? Then they uh, broke at that last weekend. The polls have shown it all uh, and over and over. They went to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan went on to win two terms uh, and the second election was a landslide. Uh, economy and how people feel. I always take economy into the account of the feeling of the country. Are we on a right track, wrong track? And I think we've gotten that sort of messed up a little bit recently because we have become so polarized. I think the interesting issue from the 80s election, 1980 election of uh, Ronald Reagan over Jimmy Carter, I, I'm, we were polarized to an extent. But remember, it was Reagan, even quoted Reagan Democrats who elected uh, in these states uh, that elected uh, Ronald Reagan president. So I, this is a different feel, you know, 40 years in the future. But it is something uh, to look at. Uh, go ahead to 1992. You had Bill Clinton and H.W. Uh, Bush, the uh, the very much the younger uh, Clinton, uh, economic populism. I mean, he was out there, and uh, the older Bush, the elder Bush at the time, just seemed disconnected. I mean, you remember the famous "How much is a gallon of milk?" Uh, quote came out of this election, and the president had no idea. And those are the kind of things that people look at and say. Okay, I'm feeling this every day, but the leaders that are in, that I have voted for or I entrust aren't understanding what is happening to me today. Fast forward now 30 years into the future, you've got a president who is touted Bidenomics all of last year, that they were bringing us out of the inflation that they caused, um, still struggling with gas prices that are higher than when he came into office. And it wasn't working. Still ain't working. So coming into this election year, they sort of ditched the Bidenomics uh, piece because number one, it it's, didn't sound good to start with. And number two, it just wasn't working in for the American people. And that's perception. Now, Democrat economists, liberal economists can say, look, well, we've had all these job growth and everything else. Again, most of the job growth came from jobs coming back after the pandemic. Had nothing to do with the, quote, economic policies of Joe Biden. What Joe Biden did, however, do is start the uh, inflation spiral up by the COVID package that he passed almost three months into his administration, which liberals said would do exactly what it did. Now, it's not Doug Collins conservative saying this. This was liberals. And they attacked them and saying, you're going to be wrong. Well, in a short amount of time, we went uh, up to 9% inflation. Now, it has come back down, but interest rates are still relatively high, especially compared to where they were um, uh, in just three years ago under Donald Trump. 
And so you go from 3% mortgage rates to, to up to as much as 8% mortgage rates is back down to a little bit in the 6% range now. And that affects people's buying. That affects people being able to sell their homes. I mean, if they're in a really good interest rate right now, why would they sell a, a property and then move to a higher interest rate? They're just, it's just what has slowed up our economy a great deal. This election is, is going to be if when Donald Trump focuses on the economy, he focuses on two things. One, what Joe Biden has done, and number two, what he did. And I think those are the two, one of the things that's going to play out. This is going to be an interesting race. We've not had this in, you know, going back almost well over 100 years in which you had to basically two incumbents fighting for the presidency and have them close together. It's, it's very easy for people to remember the four years of Trump, and it's very easy for right now to remember the current three and a half years of Joe Biden. And they're going to look at what's going on, and they're going to say, is this a you know, what do I want to be? Where, where, where am I better off? Was I better off under Donald Trump in which we had low interest rates? We had low inflation. We had uh, economy that was growing. We had the tax cut and job act that was adding jobs, which I believe got us through the uh, pandemic, uh, but easier than we would have got it through it economically if it had not been there. Or do we want the uh, higher energy cost, higher gas prices, higher food costs, uh, higher rents, higher mortgage rates. Again, it's a, it's a pretty easy uh, analogy to make. It's a pretty easy um, uh, argument to make. And Joe Biden, number one, has to overcome it. Donald Trump has to show it. These are the two things that the in the election, um, if you're sitting in the campaign office saying, okay, how do we get to this? You know, for Donald Trump, it's, it's feeding off the perception by most Americans, the economy is not good. For, for Joe Biden, it's overcoming the perception that the economy is not good, but the truth is the economy is not good. So that's going to be a harder reach for him. Number two, immigration. The only reason that we're right now even discussing immigration and Joe Biden and the administration and Democrats in the Senate are even discussing immigration is because they realize it is a problem. It is the Achilles heel of the Biden administration right now. And there's no way that they can get around it. The open border, I mean, there was just a clip just the other night in which the, the president admits that the, the border is, is not secure. But that his answer was, give me more money. Giving more money to the current situation without changing policies does not help anyone. In fact, all it does is simply uh, reinforce what's currently there. And when you reinforce what's currently there, that is the disaster that is in the making. When you have taken the, our customs and border agents and put them in a position in which they cannot uh, actually work, they have to babysit. They have to to be uh, tourist host, if you would, for folks streaming across our border. When you so messed up the parole system and letting people in legally who should not be coming in legally and, and having court dates eight and 10 years out, in which they'll never show back up for, uh, we've got a problem. And Joe Biden, this is the one issue. Now, what you're going to see, and it's still being percolated around Washington, D.C. right now, you're looking at it, uh, is this uh, Senate uh, compromise deal, whether they can actually get that going or not. It's dead in the House on, on arrival. So it, this money tied to Ukraine and, and uh, Israel is being held up because of this. But this will be one that Donald Trump can actually say, hey, look, this one is a, is just pure numbers. He doesn't even have to say anything. That here's the numbers of the crossings in 2020, the, my last year in office. Here are the crossings that have happened under Joe Biden. 
which one has which one safer? Do you believe that our country should be uh, able to protect its borders and decide who comes into our country and how they come into our country? It's not a fact that we're not wanting people to come in. Immigration is a very much of a part of who we are as Americans. The question becomes is can we actually close the border and say these are the people that we want to come in? And really, we're not talking about a hard concept here because the rest of the world does this. We're the most generous country in the world when it comes to, to immigration. We're the most generous country in the world of admitting new citizens. But yet, only thing they want to focus on is the illegals coming across. And then you have crazy comments like Jerry Nadler's, you know, going to the, well, who's going to pick our vegetables and everything else. There's ways to, to handle this without just simply opening our borders and opening uh, our borders to, to fentanyl and to drugs and to all the, the things that come across our borders, in addition to people who are being used by the cartel making millions and billions for the cartel while we're uh, basically securing the other end of that contract by putting them into the United States. This is a problem that Joe Biden, and in my mind, is probably going to be one of the biggest. That's why he's at the table right now. That's why you're seeing such a fight in Washington, D.C. about this immigration issue. Democrats want to basically make changes. You know, They basically want to change the color of the car, but the car is going to stay the same. Uh, Republicans are actually wanting to get in and change the car altogether and, and, and fix the problem that is there. Uh, and you're going to see more and more Democrats come across that. We've already seen them cross over in the House to vote that the uh, policies are not working. So uh, this one for me, uh, you know, the economy is going to be one that's going to have to be played out on a state by state, you know, name by name basis. And, and if Trump, Donald Trump can actually make that case, which he can do so very well in reaching to people, then then he'll be able to win this perception economy over. Joe Biden has not shown any ability to do that so far. He'll have to depend on surrogates in the mainstream media to say, oh, no, everything's fine. Just um, don't go to that mean guy who makes mean tweets and says bad things. The economy is really fine, even though you're paying more. Uh, immigration, they can't even justify this. One. They, they can't. This is a problem for, for, the, for the left. Number three is one that normally is only tangential to the presidential races. National security or foreign affairs is not typically involved in uh, presidential races. Now, there are some exceptions to this. You had the 68 election of Johnson actually getting out, and it was over Vietnam. I mean, he chose not to go forward uh, because he was going to lose, but it was about Vietnam, period. End of statement. End of crisis, you know, here in, in the in the country. Um, you have a little bit of it in the 80 election with Reagan and Carter uh, with the hostages in Iran. Isn't that amazing? We're still 40 plus years later dealing with the uh, tyrannical rulers in Iran who suppress their own people, who keep their own people uh, in bondage. And it started back when the revolution took place and they took hostages from America and it affected the race here. There was a general feeling of doom and gloom about what was going on and the Carter administration could not address that. And that was uh, affected. Now, I think at the end of the day, the economy probably affected as much as we talked earlier, but it was a factor in the uh, 80 election with, with Reagan and Carter. Move on ahead a little bit to show you how little... Uh, at times, foreign affairs or, or can actually play into election. Remember, George H.W. Bush coming off of the Gulf War uh, when Iraq inv invaded Kuwait came off with astronomically high numbers uh, just a little over a year and a half out from the election in which he actually ended up losing. He came out with popularity ratings in the 80s and then ended up losing the election. 
it goes to show you economy and other issues will top foreign affairs, especially if it is a memory and not an active uh, thought. If, uh, you know, if you'd have went on and if you saw the polls right after we finished up in the, uh, in, in the war in Gulf War, the first Gulf War and got, out, got Iraq out of Kuwait and then uh, went forward from there, then you would have thought there's no way H.W. Bush was going to lose. Uh, however, the Clinton campaign came through, made it about the economy, made it about people's lives. And the same people who were giving, I mean, had to have been the same people who were giving, you know, 80% approval ratings to George H.W. Bush were now voting for uh, Bill Clinton. It can show up in an opposite effect, too. And that is in the 2004 election with uh, George Bush. There was foreign affairs played a great deal. Uh, John Kerry tried to build the entire campaign of his campaign on the what was perceived as the failures of the Iraq war, the misinformation that was coming out, everything that was going on. But Americans were very sensitive with a surge, with everything going on, uh, while we had troops in, engaged in daily activities in Iraq and Afghanistan and others. They were, they were very concerned about making a change. The economy was fairly constant at that point. It was right before the big drop of 2007, 2008, um, as you come in. So this was you know a few years prior to that. Everything was still on the upside for the most part. People, again, economy, Trump, foreign affairs, and George Bush, W. Bush won re-election. Now let's put it in real quickly into context here. In the 2024 cycle, you've had the disastrous uh, leaving of Afghanistan. You've had the Ukrainian uh, Russia invading Ukraine. You've had China threatening Taiwan. You've had Iran still funding every militia group in the Middle East and now firing upon our troops. And, you know, like I said, we're one bad missile shot away from uh, tragedy that I don't want to see happen. Um, and this all comes from an administration that doesn't seem to have a clue about how to deal with foreign affairs. I mean, we've got other countries not willing to join a coalition under U.S. control in the Red Sea to fight the Houthis in the Red Sea over at Yemen. Um and it just shows how far this coalition has sort of fell. Now, we finally got together with the British and some others to to deal with some of those issues and make strikes in Yemen, but they're not wanting to to help. We're, we're seeing this more and more play out. We're seeing the duplicity, uh, duplicity of the Biden administration telling Israel that they have to fight, quote, within the you know, ethics of war, and yet nothing is ever said to Ukraine and really nothing given to Ukraine with no viable option for Ukraine to actually win over Russia, yet they want more money. And again, a theme of this administration is they want more money. So foreign affairs right now, if you take, if, if economy somehow became even, immigration and foreign affairs will absolutely jump to the forefront and people will decide, do they like where we are? Now, real quickly, a couple of, uh, I, I promise a couple of wild cards. Wild card of abortion. If abortion uh, stays on the map and pro-life groups and, and Republicans are not engaging uh, as they should and reminding people that, you know, about the horrific uh, consequences of abortion, how it actually uh, is a problem in our society, how it destroys uh, life, but also uh, those who have to live with it for their own out. Um and we actually put the emphasis back on a, on the fact that it is a life. We have more out evidences of it now and, and than ever. And also the fact, as I said earlier, seventy over seventy five percent of Americans believe that there should be some limit to abortion, whether it's six weeks, whether it's fifteen weeks, or, or, or twenty weeks. There should be limits on abortion. Yet no Republican is willing to call out the Democrats for the 
duplicitously of their own actions saying, no, we want abortion rights. And they won't say that they're willing to put limits on it. It's time for the pro-life groups, national pro-life groups, state pro-life groups and candidates to actually call them out on this. When they're asked about, do you support a limit on abortion? If you support a six-week abortion ban or if you support a 15-week abortion ban, then you support that or an, or an outright ban. But then ask the question, what kind of support, what kind of ban do you part? participate in? What do, what do you think there should be limits on abortion? And until candidates are actually begin to ask that question and then have to go on record as they did, scared of their liberal base, if they say anything less than a full-term abortion of 40 weeks, then this is a, an argument that we're just, you know, from a conservative perspective, we're not winning our own self. And we've got to be able to, to do that. So abortion, yes, it's going to be an issue. It's going to be something that's going to be out there. But it is also an issue that if a, uh, Republicans can come around and begin to communicate as we should and as we have for over 50 years, then we will be back on an even keel with this debate. And, yes, it will affect some voters. There are one-issue voters, just like there are one-issue voters on liberals. There are one-issue voters uh, on conservatives. And this will be some issues you're not going to win a voter on this. But you can win most if you confront them with the fact, would you rather, are you for a party that is for abortions up to full term? I think you, 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 we, the, the polling shows us the answer there. The other one is enthusiasm and candidates. I mean, frankly, you just got, you know, who is willing to get out to the polls? This is why Donald Trump has dominated uh, the um, issue so much and in these primaries because his voters are willing to turn out. And when these voters are willing to turn out, they're overwhelming the others. And that was what we saw, you know, so far in this whole election cycle. So as we look ahead to November, it's going to be whose voters are more uh, in tune to get out and actually go to vote. And when you have those uh, wild cards there, you have a candidate, uh, Donald Trump lately, especially if you saw the Fox interview recently, you saw others, he is getting back to that 2016 mode in which he's very focused on things like immigration, economy, and, and our standing in the world. So when you understand that, then you'll see where Donald Trump's strengths actually lie. So as we go forward in this election, here's some things to think about. Here's why campaigns matter. There's always that box of things they control and things they, they can't control, and they have to focus in the things that they can control. And the messaging for these campaigns is going to be centered around these areas that I just talked about, the things they can't control, um, Iran doing something uh, even more uh, and, and doing something stupid that actually draws us in. China doing something with Taiwan, uh, Korea uh, doing something, uh, North Korea coming in. Also here in the States, you have always issues that, that do pop up. You know, could it be the uh, court cases with Hunter Biden, with Donald Trump? These are all intangibles, but the focus on the things that they can control, economy, immigration, and foreign affairs are the things that you'll see the candidates working on. That's why I come to you. I hope you uh, get this information. You can take it out, use it as we go forward. And that's it for another Doug Collins podcast. We'll see you on Wednesday.